0: Hi, and welcome to Knowledge Counts, a podcast of the Canadian Institute of Quantity Surveyors. I'm Wendy Hobbs. Today we're talking with Nikki Elliott and Wyatt Claremont about working in the far north. You've both worked extensively in the far north of Canada. How long did you work up north and what types of projects have you worked on?
1: Yeah, so I worked at Arctic Canada Construction, ARCAN, for four and a half years from 2018 to 20. 2017 to 2021. Yeah. both there. Worked as it started as a project coordinator, finished as a project manager, worked on a variety of building projects from schools to health clinics to housing in various communities in Nineveh and Northwest territories.
2: So I started with Arctic Canada Construction in 2015, fresh out of the CET program at SAIT. And I've been with them for eight years, starting as a PC, moving to a PM, and just recently named as a general manager of a new division, working on everything from health centers, residential housing, government subsidized housing,
0: and now moving into ready-to-move sustainable housing. Let's go back a bit. How do you define Far North? 60th Parallel. Yeah.
1: North of 60. North of 60. More remote is more northern up to, yeah, those islands up there in Nunavut. And, and yeah, also including the Yukon.
0: That must present some difficult logistical challenges for getting materials and people in and out. What does that look like from an organizational perspective?
1: I'll take that one. Starting with pre-construction, it's a completely different process and timeline than something on a road in a, in a province. You how it have to tender the project approximately a year before you'd want to start construction to allow for proper lead times for sea lifts as well as procurement of labor and community resources all those things take an extended amount of time and a lot of coordination to get right because if you get them wrong you can't really do it again
2: so to expand on that when Wyatt mentioned sea lift which the time that we worked together would have been primarily eastern and deep western northern arctic so we're talking from cambridge bay to iqaluit you procure everything so at the onset of my career i was given a project in joe haven none of it and it was a hamlet office and they said okay here's this building you got to get it all together from award at may to delivery in June, but delivery is to the sea lift, which is in the eastern seaboard. That entire building gets packed into sea cans, shipped from wherever you procure it to the eastern seaboard, goes up on a barge, June to September, arrives in September, and then your construction season starts the following year to get anything else up there. So we always had this conversation that a $50 box of nails becomes a $500 box of nails if you miss it. So when he talks about coordination and procurement, you have to be very precise and lean, and your team that's now gonna see that building in a year's time has to understand how you built that building in your head in order for them to execute
0: it on site a year later. So if something misses the barge, how do you get it to site?
2: Fly. Or goes in some guy's suitcase on his turnaround.
1: <laughs> yeah, one way or another, it's an airplane. Yeah. yeah either charter, freight, or suitcase. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: You would prefer that the only thing you have missed fits in a guy's suitcase. Because if you've got a charter, you're buying an entire plane out of Ottawa, Winnipeg, Yellowknife.
1: Yeah, it's risky and yeah, heavy things you you can't miss. Yeah. Not you allowed.
2: Want, you don't want to miss a trust package. Yeah. Or your structural steel or something like that. Yeah. But even, you know, your crew van or your pickup trucks to get your guys to and from site. Like all of those, or your telehandlers, your scissorless, all of that has to be um allocated to the project a year ahead of time. So that's a resource that the company is now placing into community that is allocated to them that job some, you know, sometimes a year or two years until. It's actually going to be in use and billable.
1: Yeah, and then another calculation needs to be made about those sunk costs into a job before you even win it, right? Saying we have these resources to put in the community before it's even a job, which is not like the South where you'd assign resources after you win Mm -hmm. the project. And
2: so then that bleeds into kind of that bidding aspect saying, hey, we've had jobs awarded in these communities the last three years. We have resources there already. Well now could be competitive because we don't have to factor that into the price. So, but yeah, some, some of our stuff sat in the community for five years before it was ever used again on another project.
1: Or if a project gets canceled, right, it's usually already on its way to the community. So then those crates or sea cans or, or job trailers or excavators, whatever you have sent up to that community, get to stay there until the project or a new project comes online.
2: Because the barge leaves June, July, lands September, and comes back out. So if, say 2020, you send something up June, July, you will not be able to get it back out of community if something happens in the duration of that project till the following fall. So you lose that
0: asset for a year. The wear and tear on equipment must be extensive. How do you deal with equipment failure or even equipment that doesn't arrive?
1: (laughs) It'll break sooner than you think.
0: Yeah, It's (laughs) it's going through an Arctic winter. Our guys on the
2: ground, they do extended turnarounds. We have a very small building window, very little resources to maintain or fix that piece of equipment. So the likelihood that that equipment will be written off before the end of the project is quite high. It's a gamble. If you want to work in the high Arctic, I mean, you have to understand it's high risk, sometimes high reward, but you got to know what you're doing. But there's a lot of just kind of gut, I think, that goes into it. It's not a perfect science at all.
1: Yeah, the level of commitment before you know what the reward is way different than a a normal project in Calgary. Yeah, you have to be fully committed with your equipment, with C-cans, with people before you know you're going to make money. You have to have a plan B, C, D, E, and F up north, and hopefully you don't get the F. Yeah, we'll have different attachments for different equipment that can be used on either the, you know, the zoom boom or the Bobcat can both pick up a pallet. So you have different options if one's down and you try your best to have enough capacity so that if you have one piece of equipment, whatever that be, you're not stuck not moving. You can still get work done until that part comes in or that mechanic arrives that can fix it.
2: And there's also kind of a little bit of MacGyver spirit. You're not the first person to lose a telehandler in community. You're not, you know, the first person to blow a hose. So there's a lot of abandoned infrastructure throughout the North that you can do some MacGyver or someone's done a collection of Abandoned and decommissioned, so it's all about who you know and who's willing to kind of give you a hand, and so that comes into community integration and and how well we work with the local populace, the uh, local vendors, because if those relations are strong, somebody somewhere probably has something that's going to be able to help you out, as opposed to flying it from the south. Mm -hmm. But I mean, you can order something; say it's just a hose fitting. You can order that in the south it can take 2 to 6 weeks to get up there because when we talk about flying we also have to remember that mail and groceries takes precedent
1: yeah that's the, that's another thing in the planes and on the boats there's there's a capacity limit so that that storage or that freight availability sells out so that it increases your times and increases your urgency to get things booked
2: yeah yeah and and Sometimes there were certain winters where barges didn't make it into certain communities due to ice flow. So now the demand for the capacity on those ships or planes or whatever, the cargo demand was much higher. That community now hasn't seen, you know, dry goods or fuel for a season. And so there was instances where we would have to project what we may get awarded in the high Arctic and pre-book that cubic space. On a barge, and we may not have won it. You know, so there was just always this kind of, I, I call it a gamble. I mean, there was a little bit of a, a thought process behind it, but we, can and the company that I work for now, we've slowly rescinded out of the high Arctic, and we were concentrating on the life due to just the level of risk and contingency that we had to carry to, to even begin to put boots on the ground. It just became too much. And the whole climate of construction process process up there has changed quite a bit in the last five
0: years. How do you deal with employment issues? How do you manage that sort of thing?
1: Yeah, it's a job that not everyone can do and not uh, a lot of people are even willing to consider. Uh, carpenter jobs in Calgary or in the South are, are a lot easier to come by. You know, work-life balance is is sometimes preferred in Calgary versus Joe Haven. But for the right person... When you find them, it seems to be their calling, yeah, and they get very excited and and very committed to their role, and often bring along a team with them so that you have a good crew in a in a community that they're familiar with or get familiar with, and then you just keep that rolling as as long as you can
2: we it's two sides to the coin you have you have forty year veterans, and the north is the only place they'll work. And then you have people, specifically, kind of our eastern workforce from the Atlantic provinces. You know, looking to work away. That six and two rotation. When I say six and two, six weeks on, two weeks off. But when Wyatt speaks to you, find a good guy, and he brings a team with them. The cost to onboard somebody and bring them to a remote location—they have to work. So they one they have to work the full six weeks in order for that cost equation to work out for the cost of the job and two we work in remote and culturally sensitive areas so there's a personality that has to come in and respect the communities some of these communities are dry communities so that person has to be able to quietly integrate and be efficient as well six weeks on you know 365 days out of the year, you're you're there, you know, and you're also the face of our company in some of these communities that may or may not be very welcoming. So there's a lot that goes into how we consider hiring someone in the North.
1: It's a very specialized role. You have to live in the community, right? You're not going home really ever. You're going to the house in the community that you live in and that people know this is the house that the Workers live in, yeah. right? And you have a, a duty to the community to uphold that respectful level, or else you'll leave.
2: Yeah. And sometimes it's
1: harder than others. It's
2: harder than others. Like you may not be able to get a flight out for two weeks due to the weather, and you've potentially been terminated from the position, or the position doesn't work for you, but you are isolated and stranded in that community until we can get you out. So there's a lot of consideration in the type of person that we put in certain places in the community and how well they're going to be able to work and a lot of northern construction has a requirement in contract to have a local workforce a percentile really strives to on-the-job training and try to have a level of skilled professional that comes out of that program but some of the communities where we work in the mine has the majority of the employable individuals or anyone that's willing to get into the trade so it can be very difficult to kind of match that with your southern workforce um as well as yeah just being mindful of where you are you're in indigenous communities that the populace might only be 300 people we have to be very careful
0: what do you have to consider in terms of infrastructure when you start a project in the north
2: housing's a big one not only do our guys go in and work every day together but they have to live together, too. And Eat
1: every meal together. Yeah. Do yep. their laundry together. Matt. Get each other up when there's no sun out in the middle of winter. <laughs> minus 40. <laughs> put your boots on together.
2: Put the tinfoil on the window when the sun doesn't go down.
1: In the middle of the summer, you gotta get yeah,
2: a so when sleep. Yeah, so when we talk about having kind oh. of that crew that works well together, other, when they're, other than when they're sleeping, they're together. Socially, professionally, otherwise. So you really got to make sure they mesh. And it's, it's small quarters. Like we're not talking that a, a, we can rent an Airbnb, a 3,400 square foot Airbnb, where everybody gets their own room. Like sometimes we're two cots to a bedroom sort of thing in a common kitchen or they're in a camp type scenario.
1: And the guy's flown from Newfoundland, you know, a full day, maybe two days of flying To get to this house that they're going to stay in for six weeks, and there's no other option, right? So it's preparing those guys for the situation, and 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 yeah, communicating with them as they go through the the especially if
2: they haven't done it before. There's a large, we'll call it the Arctic shock. Yeah, and I mean even the first time that I traveled north, and I spent a couple years in Yellowknife when I was younger, but North shock. Like you're on another planet. Some people aren't prepared for that.
1: There's a lot of crisis yeah. up north, and when you live in the community, you can't avoid it. You see all the all the different, you know, social issues. Yeah, from lack of housing to lack of infrastructure, we, it goes on and on.
2: Yeah.
0: In addition to the housing considerations, what other elements have to be in place to even get work started?
1: Yeah, up in Pond Inlet, we had to wait for the gravel crusher to come in on the barge. So that they could start building the roads before we started building the housing.
2: And in Joe Haven, we had to hand mix and I had to send in one ton bags of pre-mixed concrete. And you just hope no moisture gets into it by the time you get there. So once you come kind of further into the territories and stuff, there will be a local vendor. But then the other thing that you battle there is they are the only vendor. Yeah. So there's no competitive pricing. It is. They're going to invoice you what they want to invoice you. And there's not a lot of negotiative kind of that you can create in that situation. It's more about establishing good working relationships. I scratch your back, you scratch mine. But yeah, it's all about working relationships in the North and kind of really fostering that. Because down here, there's always somebody competitive coming to fulfill. You can run a sub-trade office. They're not fulfilling the contract. Up there, that's the only person that you have within a thousand kilometer radius to potentially provide that commodity Mm -hmm.
1: to you. So like power lines, you know, are always a critical item Mm -hmm. because often with the new housing or the new building, it's at the new part of town, which doesn't have power lines yet. So they always have to get there along with the roads.
2: It's a letter of intent. Application for permanent power. And you might not. You might not be at the potential for a year. So I guess at, we could talk about, at at a ward, the kind of primary things is a lot of infrastructure stuff. All of your services, any type of underground, anything that you need to get from the village, the hamlet, or any of the kind of operating. Tanks. Tanks.
1: Propane. Can't fly propane. Nope. <laughs> Heating
2: oil. It's, it's totally, like nothing, there's nothing in the ground. Y- yeah. Your critical path looks very different in the north than it does down south.
1: Yeah, it's all got to be pre-planned. You have to know who sells what in the community before you bid the job. If you win the job and then say, hey, can I have your price list for what you sell there? It's it's not going to work.
0: What sort of restrictions are there on things you can fly into site? For example, fuel. How do you get that sort of thing to site?
2: or ice road. Depending on where
1: you're at, yeah, Northwest Territories, you have ice roads, which mm-hmm. come in real handy. Yeah, it's it's about planning that one year in advance, or else accepting a long schedule delay, or figuring, you know, finding a MacGyver, right? Thinking on your feet if you if you run out of propane,
2: or I mean, you you could pay, you know, five figures, six figures for a private charter to get a DG in.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And there maybe there's a different opportunity for a charter or a shared charter. Yeah. So you reach out again to the community who Mm -hmm. does need to bring in something and can I add a tank of propane to it?
2: Yeah. And how much? Yeah. And a lot of your client is government. So they may have other items that are going on with infrastructure or have other divisions that could be facing the same thing as you for the same reasons. Either a barge was delayed, barge didn't make it in. You know, the ice road fell out before we could get our final delivery. So there's opportunity to share costs for those types of things. But again, like Wyatt said, you really got to know who you're talking to or who to talk to or who's
1: willing to talk to you. Mm -hmm. You got to be in the know.
0: How do you work around infrastructure that might not be there when you need it? For example, ice roads, if the weather's too warm. So most ice roads have a
2: historical open and closed date. If you shrink those back a month from, you're probably pretty safe. I've only had a, well, I had one personal instance that I drove up into Fort Simpson and the ferry was open at the time, went and did an inspection. And before I could get out, I, told, I was told I had 48 hours. I was traveling in the morning. No problem. Ferry was supposed to be in. An ice floe broke and came down the liard and the ferry got pulled out of the water while I was sleeping. So not only am me, but my pickup truck is stranded there and I have to be in Hay River. And there's a large storm system, so there's no flights out of the island. Fort Simpson is an island. So I ended up having to hop a helicopter across the channel, across the liard get picked up by a guy that was doing fuel delivery at the other side of the ferry dock, hitchhike basically back with him, five and a half hours, no cell phone service into Hay River, borrow my general manager's pickup truck and drive myself back to Calgary. So (laughs) it was something like 3,600 kilometers in the span of two and a half days. So, I mean, that really kind of shows you what the North is. Now, if that was a crucial critical path item or a supply item, that would be kind of the MacGyvering, so to speak, that you'd have to figure out how to get that item or that resource in or out of the community. It's still in Northwest Territories. Yeah, it was a company truck. It just it just then became the, the superintendent's truck. And, you know, yeah, we didn't need it down here in Old It's now it was in Port Simpson for a while and then they gave the superintendent a new truck. And now it's kind of just the parts truck in, in Hay River. The black F-150.
1: And then, yeah, at the end of the job, like, you, you sell your stuff, right? Rather than ship it out a lot of the time. hmm Mostly because it's been used quite heavily and there's a little bit of need in the community. Every, you know, there's a buyer for a used truck and at all times.
2: Yeah, or C-cans. Lots mm-hmm. of people use C-can storage because to ship an empty C-can app is pretty well the same price as sh- shipping a full one app. so. To bring it back down, there's need up there for that. Insulations, leftover insulations. That's a big, a big one that the community really likes to have. Because oh, it takes up cubes, but doesn't weigh a lot. So it's
0: expensive to get in because it takes up space.
2: Volume, right? Volume is expensive when you're talking mm-hmm.
0: Logistics in the north. Take us through the progression of a project, from when you first start to handing the keys over to the owner. What are the first questions you have to ask? What region? Do we have a road? Do we have an ice road? Or do we have a barge?
2: So there's your first question. Like, it would really be community, all of your methods of transportation during all seasons. Once you have that on lockdown and your restrictions to do so, right? So your ice road, you can send in heavier stuff than when you're in road bands or those types of things. So I think you really need your path of least resistance into community would be sort of my first plot then all of my applications for infrastructure. So all of my permitting and all of my permanent power, temporary power, all of that. Because some of those crews only come into community once, right? And then I'd be looking at all my long lead items and backtracking on when they need to land, where they need to land. So whether it's barge, consolidation yard, you know, X, Y, Z, and then go from there. It's kind of how I approach it. I don't know if your your methodology was similar.
1: Yep, it'd be yeah similar to that. Maybe to add, you look at the project team, where the consultants are based, and if there'd be any hurdles getting the inspections, (laughs) and and you know you know drawings progressed because they might live in Quebec and you live in Calgary, or and flying up there would be hard to do in December.
2: Yeah, and I think some of those contractual obligations too Mm -hmm. that. You know, there was an instance, it might have actually been on one of your jobs, where they had a very specific gravel specification. Mm -hmm. You only have one type of rock in these communities. So uh, we face that a lot of times. There's boilerplate specifications that are applicable to a Southern consultant. That. There's no way that it would be feasible for us to meet that. In these locations, it was even yeah. gravel. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. So the contractual obligations and and how feasible they are to meet would be a, a real big risk item to to evaluate before you put in your bid. Yeah, yeah. And then like after award, you get really busy, right? Shop drawings all have to go in immediately. Usually, depending on the time of year and the, <laughs> and the location, so you can order your materials, get your crews set up, assign a superintendent to the job. Book some flights <laughs> and get the site. Yeah, probably in the, in the first fall, it's likely that you are just, yeah, making sure it's going to work in the spring sort of thing. Shut down for winter. Tarp your weather. sense items. Anything that can freeze you want warm storage for.
2: That's a big one. I don't know how many times you think you're sending paint. Wow, it was early in my career. I buy all the paint for the building. Put it on the barge, sit in a he can for an entire Arctic winter yeah. and the paint to snow more. So it's really considering some of those things, right? And encouraging others to put two by fours on things because it's no drifts, like things get lost in the snow. And yeah. the snow doesn't melt till June, but we'll have boots on the ground April. Yeah. So.
1: Yeah, the, the, they can snow six, 10, 20 feet drifts in a community, right? So if you have a pile of crates that you need in April. You want to make sure they're not drifted over over winter. But you can access them. Yeah. Like we've had situations where we've lost crates, right? They didn't make, they couldn't find them in the spring. And then after the melt, sure enough, they show up, right?
2: Yeah. And I, I think also, like, there's always contractual timelines, depending on where you're procuring for, that won't work. So it's a lot of that, like, no, you don't have. 14 business days to review my steel, because that needs to go into production yesterday. And so there's a lot of that type of consideration when you launch launch a job. Yeah, and then there's all the subsidiary things. Have we been in the community before? Is there tools there? Are you purchasing an entire tool package for a crew of six? Everything, it's basically everything. We looked at it as if you supplied everything and put it on site. And in theory, the superintendent should never talk to you again. That's the way we looked at it, right? Like that's the way we tried. And yeah. other than RFIs and, and-
1: It's <laughs> gotta be packaged like it came from IKEA. Yeah. With an instruction manual to suit. Yeah. And then you deal with all the ups and downs because your plan isn't gonna get built know, that way. I mean, it's not gonna actually work. Yeah,
2: they cut up them. 16, <laughs> they cut up those sixteen foot.
1: Yeah, two by fours was, yeah.
2: that were meant for the only space for 16 foot two by fours. And they made them eight, or eight-footers. Yeah. So it's that type of stuff, right? So you really gotta map it out. It's it's basically the project map. You gotta really look at the lifespan of that job from procurement out and have each step plotted. Before you start. Before you start. Yeah. Yeah, before you cut your first P.O.
1: So then we get the construction. And that's where everything changes. Your crew. Members won't work out as well as you thought. Change orders start coming, site instructions start coming, and everything gets more and more critical because you're, as you progress the job, your burn rate per day goes up with resources. And, and you got to juggle it all and stay in communication with your crew to make sure, you know, not only is morale not going down, but production is staying high. Because at the end of every month, you have to do a billing, right? And that everyone's got to agree to it, and, and it's got to progress like it should.
2: And if you come across an item that potentially goes RFI to CO, that's critical path in order to move the job forward. It's not like you can take that team and put it on another project. And trying to have the discussions with Southern-based consultants, why you can't do that. And that there's no stand down time, or we can reallocate these resources. These these human resources have been allocated to this project to completion. So I can't just fly a ten man crew at thirty five hundred bucks a pop home to come back once you guys have made the choice. So really, being on top of your consultant team to
1: yeah to under yeah it's always tough to explain how expensive it is to do nothing in the north
2: we always liken it to a big machine once that machine gets rolling takes a lot to stop it and takes a lot to start like that project inertia sort of aspect but in the north that's exponential so yeah trying to curate that understanding can be just difficult if you you have you know kind of newish consultants and potentially haven't done a lot of northern construction
1: yeah, like if a if a job is delayed for too long, you'll probably you could like there's a high probability chance that you'd probably have to find a whole new crew mm-hmm. because those carpenters need jobs and they're good at what they do and they find them.
2: Yeah, that and there's the I ain't gonna sit here and yeah. do nothing when I can be old.
1: Yeah, so, that yeah, not only is it the money that adds up every day, but it's it's additional procurement that adds up if you delay it long enough.
2: Yeah, physical commodity and human resources. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. Lining up consultants' inspections and closeout items is always fun too. As you get closer to the end, the hard topics or the hard construction items always bubble to the surface and usually need some very, very urgent, critical coordination at the end of the project to meet your turnover date that you've usually already committed to and those consultants you know need to be f- flexible enough to do their site inspections if that's what it is or provide their guidance on a very very timely basis yeah without without incurring more delays right uh, every day counts
2: and when you call for an inspection that better be the inspection because the logistics of getting your team there for that date if it doesn't meet kind of those different levels of aptitude that should be a substantial or should be a rough-in or should be these types of items, the the consultants will come back and charge you for wasting their time, which is very different than down here. They can say, oh, well, we'll pop by next week. Not like that. There's Mm. just cost over cost.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so like a blizzard could delay your occupancy date. By three weeks. By, yeah.
2: And then now you're in contract extension. Change orders, say, you know, insurance extensions, all those things, extended, extended. And they're not recoverable costs contractually.
1: Yeah, often the contractor's on the hook if it's a lump sum deal, right? Yep. So getting that through to the consultants that just need to do their report is tricky sometimes. Yeah, I guess in deficiencies too. So now you've demobilized and six months later the heater won't work. Getting, oh, NTA, and you're completely out of the community perhaps getting that superintendent or that plumber back into the community to fix that deficiency is tricky to say the least you get lucky if you have the same plumber who did the install so that you can find the heater that doesn't <laughs> work that's nice but often because it's six months to a year later it's retraining in a new person to find the problem to fix the problem
2: and the that feedback of communication, proving. So if something gets on a deficiency list, it can take a year to get it off. Either by the time the client or the consultant has come back, or maybe your guy went in, there was a quick fix, There's a leak, he painted the gas line yellow, everybody's happy, he left, he didn't take a picture.
1: Yeah. Now it didn't happen.
2: Yeah, it didn't happen.
1: Because <laughs> you need that picture. Yeah. And that picture is going to cost you an extra flight. Yeah. And hopefully there is a picture to take.
2: Yeah, Yeah, forget about asking your client, "Hey, yeah, I had so-and-so in. Mm-hmm. Painted that gasoline yellow." Is it
0: yellow?" It sounds stressful, but exciting. What's your favorite part of working in the North?
1: The communities mm-hmm. and the people up there, and the amount of good you can do for humanity, is, is really fulfilling. It's really fulfilling and re- rewarding. It makes your heart feel good.
2: The, you know, when you go in and you execute a project and you see a family that's lived in substandard conditions move into a new home or create a cultural center for the community to celebrate in or update a school that the kids are excited for their new gym, you can't put a price on that. And to be a part of that and be accepted in those communities is, I mean, it's why I'm still doing it today. I've created a lot of relations with various bands and communities, and there's a part that, like, the North takes a part of your heart. You know, we can talk contracts and we can talk dollars and cents, and of course you want to be profitable, but there is a profit that comes from working in the North that you wouldn't get anywhere else.
0: Thanks to Nikki and Wyatt for speaking with us today about the challenges and rewards of working in the far north. For Knowledge Counts, I'm Wendy Hobbs.